morning. You know, we were worshiping earlier this morning. I felt a real quickening when we were singing those words, Adonai, Adonai. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that you are Lord of all the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. My friend, everything is His. Everything is His. You are His. I am his, the church is his, America is his, the world is his, the economies, the banks, everything belongs to our God. And you know, when you put your head on the pillow at night, you can rest real sweet when you know that God is in charge. This world seems like it's out of control, completely out of whack. But those of us who know, those of us who have eyes to see beyond the visible, the physical, the material. He's got it all covered. He's got it all worked out. Nothing's taking him by surprise. It's all his, and he knows what to do with it. Can we pray just one more time and surrender to the Sovereign One who is in control of all things? Father God, the earth is yours. Our lives are yours. The kingdoms of this earth are yours. The kings, the queens, the presidents, the prime ministers, the governments, the political parties and powers that be, they're all in your hands. And Lord, you can turn them like turning on a faucet of water, your word says. And Lord, we are not at the mercy of fate or chance or coincidence or circumstance we have surrendered to a sovereign God who makes all things work together for good Lord we surrender to your purpose we surrender to your plan we surrender to the potter whose hands are ready and able to mold and to change and to fill and to work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Father, have your way in our lives. Have your way in our midst today. And Lord, be glorified. Be exalted. Lord, let the words that come from my lips today not be mine, but let them be yours. Holy Spirit, quicken truth and the word of God to each one of our lives as we seek your face together. In Jesus' name, amen. We heard about God's kingdom last week. And one of my favorite scriptures that was shared is that verse in Luke where it says, Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There are two things about that scripture that always have blessed me. First of all, it does not say, Fear not, O great megachurch. Hello? Now, I don't know why we're missing so many people today, but we have a little flock today. And that's good. Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's... He, he's kind of 
grudgingly doing it. He's not really wholehearted about it, but eh, take a little bit of my kingdom. Now what it says? Fear not. Don't fear all the stuff that's going on in the world. It's the Father's good pleasure. It makes him happy to be able to offer you the best he can. His kingdom. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is King of kings. Jesus is Lord of all lords. He's prime minister of all prime ministers. He is the leader of all leaders, the chief of all chiefs. He is the greatest. Our God is greater than all other gods. And you know what? The Bible also says he's greater than our own heart. Have you ever thought about that? First John says if your heart condemns you, God is even greater than your heart. He can overcome those things that are bothering you in your own heart because he's greater. He's greater. He's greater. I want to follow up with last week's message because I've been thinking a lot about the kingdom of God. I'm getting excited about the kingdom of God. I'm really trying to focus my eyes, my mind, my attention beyond this world and seek first the kingdom of God. Because as we're going to learn this morning, that kingdom will last after all the other ones have dissipated and disappeared. What I want to speak to you about this morning is God's unshakable kingdom. His unshakable kingdom. And by the way, I am probably going to be overwhelming you this morning with a lot of scripture. And for those of you that don't know this, we have a church website, and we try to post all of the messages up there. It just so happens I don't always have notes for my messages, but today's I do have notes for everything, and they will be posted on there probably by Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. So if you want access to the notes for today's message, they will be available. New-Life-Ministries. There's a very important passage of Scripture I want to begin with. And it talks about where we, as believers in Christ, have come. I want you to notice the emphasis in these verses that we're about to look at. They begin on a negative note by telling us where we have not come. And then it's going to tell us a whole bunch of stuff about where we have come. And I trust that those of you that are here today or those of you that might listen to this message, that you can truly say, yes, that's where I've come. Because that's where God wants us to be and that's where he wants us to come. The writer of Hebrews begins by saying, you have not come to a mountain, and if you understand the background. He's referring to Mount Sinai, where Moses and the children of Israel came to receive the law, the old covenant. He says, you've not come there. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. It was a fearful sight when they came to that mountain, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Man, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. That was the commandment. Don't come anywhere near that mountain or you will die. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, 
I am trembling with fear. But now he's going to tell us where we have come, or at least where we're supposed to be. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Now, just stop there for a minute. Did you realize that? You're in good company this morning. I mean, I'm glad you're my friend. I'm glad you like Pastor Quasey, but I'm not talking about us. You're in far better company than that. Did you know angels come here when we worship, when we talk about the things of God? That's what the Bible says. We have such a great salvation, such a high calling in God, that angels are looking through those windows. They're listening in on what you and I are talking about this morning because we've experienced something they have not. They have not been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb like you and me. Angels sinned, some of them, and there's no hope for them. The good angels are still there worshiping the Lord. But angels that sinned, there isn't a plan B for them. Thank God there was a plan B for you and me. Thank God we were able to repent, turn from our sins, and come back to a living God and be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in a somber, funeral-like atmosphere. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Oh, we got to praise him again. How much longer do we have to sing this song? You know, I feel sorry for people that are looking at the clock during church and they're wondering, how much longer are they going to sing here? When's that guy going to stop praying? Because you know what we're getting ready for? We're getting ready to join them in an everlasting chorus. The Bible says they cease not to sing day and night. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, glory, riches, blessing, and on and on and on it goes. And they just keep worshiping and worshiping and worshiping. I'll be honest with you. I can't wait to get up there. I can't wait. Because I don't have enough strengthen my physical being to do that but I'm about to get a new body you're about to get a new body and we're going to be able to join them in joyful song for eternity that's where we've come but he's got more we've also come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven you have come to God the judge of all men to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And now it gets really good. You've come to Jesus. The mediator of a new covenant. Not the old one they got at Mount Sinai. Where everybody was trembling and afraid. Now you've come to a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood. That speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay? That's where we've come. But he's not done yet. He's about to share something very important based on all that we now know about where we are, where we have come. Listen to this. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. I think we all understand here God speaks. Do you know God's not done speaking yet? He's still speaking. Don't refuse him when he speaks. If they did not escape, when they refused him who warned them on earth, he's referring back to the old covenant times. And let me tell you something, they didn't escape. 
when they messed around in the Old Testament. They just didn't escape. And we might say, thank God we're under grace now. We can screw up. We can sin. We can be carnal and worldly, and God's just going to look the other way. If you're at all familiar with the book of Hebrews, that is opposite to what the Word of God teaches. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less, how much less will we Christians who have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to Jesus, and to the blood of the covenant, how much less if we now turn away from him who does what? Please note this word, who does what? I would be very clear with you this morning. If you are hearing the voice of God in these times in which we live, Of course, God is encouraging you. God is speaking peace. He's speaking hope. He's speaking comfort. He's speaking to you about how much he loves you. But I guarantee you, intermingled, there is warning that you are hearing from God. Do I have an amen in here? God is warning us in these last days. And we don't like warnings. We don't like people messing with us. We don't like people telling us we need to change course or what we're doing might be harmful or dangerous to ourselves or to others. But sometimes we need to be warned. And I believe God is warning us in these times in which we live. Now, you know, some years ago, when I first started out my ministry, I spent six months in India. And actually four months I lived in a missionary training center in Madras, India, where there were more than a hundred young trainees who were preparing for full-time ministry and missionary work. It was a very regimented, disciplined kind of an environment, and our day started at 4 a.m. every day, seven days a week. 4 a.m., prayer. 6 a.m., more prayer. 8.30, more prayer and Bible study, then evening prayer, then there were all-night prayer chains. You were lucky if you got in four hours of sleep a day. Lucky. But you know, there was one man, his sole job was to go around every morning at about ten minutes of four with this big drum. And he'd go, boom, 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 boom. And I'd hear that drum and I'd go, oh, God, shut him up. Shut him up. Tell that man to shut up, Lord. I don't want to get up yet. But that was his job, to wake everybody up to come for prayer. You know, in the last few years, I think I'm settling in to maybe a change in my calling. I believe God has made me that drum guy to go around waking people up. Keep banging the drum. Keep sounding the warning. Keep alerting people. It's time to wake up. It's time to get up. It's time to open your eyes. And I make no apologies for that. I will do what God tells me to do. And I am hearing loud and clear in these days a warning from heaven, an alarm from heaven for the church. Wake up. This is a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call. He's saying, don't turn away now from him who is warning you. What's he warning us about? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. 
Well, what can be shaken? We don't have to guess. He tells us created things. My friend, God is warning us. He is telling us very clearly through his prophets that in these last days, any, every, all created things, institutions, things are going to shake. And he has a reason for doing it. He's not just a mean old God that likes to shake everything up. What does it say? He's going to shake everything so it will be removed. God is slowly about removing created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And let me just give you a little side note. This is what's going on in your life and in my life. When we feel shakings in our lives, our first reaction is to panic. It's to fear, it's to worry, it's to grab onto things and to try to take control. When in actuality, what God is trying to do is shake out all of those things that are not going to remain so that your life will be based more and more on things that are going to remain. May God give us eyes to see things the way God sees them. May God give us an eternal perspective. The Bible says, set your heart, set your eyes, set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. And if you're looking at the things on the earth, you're going to see them doing one thing. You're going to see them shaking. Now, he goes on. Therefore, since we, we who have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, to Jesus, the blood and all of that, we who have come there... We are receiving something different. We're not just getting a whole bunch of shaking. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And if you understand that revelation, my friend, even as you see stock markets and economies and nations crumbling in these last days, you are going to do two things. You're going to be thankful and you're going to worship God. It's not going to phase you. You're not going to lose any sleep over it because you're going to realize we're getting closer. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Any day now, Jesus is coming back. Any day I'm going home. Hallelujah. Let it shake because I have been called to an unshakable kingdom. Because of that, let us be thankful, worship God acceptably with apathy and indifference, with reverence. And all for God is a big teddy bear. I believe the church needs to get this revelation. Why are we worshiping God with reverence, with holy awe, with trembling? The Bible says because He is a consuming fire. And we read earlier, God is a judge of all men. Because of that, our attitudes toward God, I believe need to change. We need to get serious about God. Yes, we are supposed to rejoice. We're supposed to have a good time in the Lord. We are supposed to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. But there's also a serious side to our relationship with God. Take Him seriously. Revere Him. Stand in awe before God when you worship Him. Just, I would recommend that you take time daily to ponder certain scriptures that speak about the greatness of God, the awesome power of God. 
the omnipotence of God, the wisdom of God. Spend time meditating on how great God is and then you'll see how small your problems look. And you'll be able to worship Him in awe. This passage about shaking is actually quoted from the Old Testament. It's taken from the book of Haggai. And the original quote in Haggai has some other pieces that aren't quoted in Hebrews because they really weren't what the writer of Hebrews was trying to share in that particular moment. But we need to look at the full prophecy because I believe you will see here, this is a last day's prophecy. This is for our time. And here's the full quote. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Now what I've highlighted there is not quoted in Hebrews. I will shake what? I will shake all nations. Except, of course, the U.S. Because we're God's favorite pet. Right? U.S. is exempt. Because we're a Christian nation, or so they say. I know you guys get tired of me doing this, but what does all mean? Does it mean all? Does it mean Guyana? Jamaica? Trinidad? El Salvador? India? America? And what does it say? I, I might? I will shake all nations. And then something good happens. And the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord Almighty who's the desire of all nations we understand and most Bible scholars understand this is a reference to the Messiah and that's why I believe this definitely must be understood in context of end times. Because what does it say? I will shake all nations and then the desire of all nations will come. What are we looking for now? We're looking for Jesus to come. And Lord, please just skip this part. Let's not do this. Let's just go right down to here. I'm sorry, it's not going to work that way. God is going to shake everything on this earth before Jesus returns. He's going to shake everything. Every kingdom, every government, every nation will be shaken. If I'm that man beating on the drum, <laughs> I make no apologies for waking you up. That's my job. I know you're probably mad at me and you want to throw something at me, but so be it. We need to wake up to the hour in which we live. What I want to try to show you in the rest of our time this morning is how this is happening before our very eyes and it's coming to America it's coming to America let me first summarize a few things that we have spoken about before here about major changes that have taken place in nations in the last two years just in the last two years we're talking this in a long time ago just within the last two years we have seen nation after nation after nation shaken and the government's completely changed I have never witnessed anything like that in my 61 years on this earth I've never seen such dramatic changes in nation after nation after nation after nation one right after the other let's talk about some of the shakings and some of the changes 
that the world has seen since 2010. This is just a quick summary. We have watched nations collapse across Europe. The economies of Greece, Portugal, Spain, Italy, and there are many more to follow, have either totally failed or they're being artificially propped up because they know if they really admit that they've failed and gone completely bankrupt, the whole European Union will dissolve. And I believe there are a lot of economists that are predicting that's going to happen anyway. Last year, I showed you a whole bunch of slides about the Arab Spring. And we even had a map up here. I don't have it today, but all the nations across North Africa and the Middle East, this thing just swept through all of those nations. And we were told in the 9 o'clock news that this was a good thing because democracy was coming to the Middle East. I warned you a year ago, no, 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 no. This is not about democracy. This is about radical Islam taking over these nations. Every single one of those nations that fell in the Arab Spring has now been taken over by a radical Islamic government. I'm talking radical, folks. You can study this stuff for yourself online. You can look at their, their charter, what they believe as a government. They believe in radical Sharia Muslim law. They believe in jihad. They believe that the enemies are Christians and Jews. We are the enemy. That's what's happened all across North Africa and the Middle East. And of course, if you watch any news... You've heard all of these nations mentioned in the nightly news for the last two weeks because the whole region has erupted in more violence and protests. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, Yemen, all replaced now with radical Islamic governments. Coincidence? Or Haggai 2, verse 7, being fulfilled? I prefer to think it's Haggai. We're now seeing what experts are calling not the Arab Spring, but the follow-up. They're calling it an Islamic winter. And if you paid any attention to the news this past week or two, you would have seen violent anti-American protests. I'm not talking about ten people. I'm talking about mobs of people storming our embassies, bombing, burning, tearing down flags, ripping down fences and walls, smashing windows in more than 20 nations, folks, including the 9-11 attack on our U.S. Embassy in Libya that resulted in the death of our ambassador and three other Americans there. Coincidence? I think not. Is it over now? We've been told by the media that it was, this was because of some stupid home video that was put out on the internet against Islam. Friends, don't believe this foolishness. This isn't about a video. This is about their charter, their decree. This is their purpose. It's to subdue the world. And they will not be afraid to use violence. This is the change that we're seeing. Nation after nation after nation. Twenty nations. We witnessed this this past week. This may sound kind of negative, but I believe if you know anything about history, you would have to admit that this statement is true. What we are seeing before our very eyes is the weakening and decline of Western civilization. I'm talking about the U.S. I'm talking about Europe. I'm including Britain in there. These nations are weakening and declining 
both economically, morally, militarily, while there's a major rise and ascendancy of radical Islam across the world. Make no mistake, these radical governments, they share two things in common. Their hatred for the U.S., which they call the Great Satan. They may not be totally off on that one, but <laughs> we'll debate that another time. Hatred of the U.S., the Great Satan, and hatred of Israel, the Little Satan. That's their common denominator. They all hate Israel. They all hate Israel. Isn't that strange? Because God loves Israel. They hate Jerusalem. God loves Jerusalem. If you pay any attention to the news, you're hearing about this just about every day, every night in the news. Iran, which is run by a madman. He is determined to wipe Israel off the map. He can't stand to see that name on the world map. He wants to destroy Israel. And they are racing toward having nuclear bombs that they can use, not only against Israel, the little Satan, but hopefully they can build one big enough that it will reach here. The Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, has been speaking out more and more in the last week or two about the urgency to do something about Iran's development of nuclear weapons because they want to use them on Israel. I've been telling you all for years, keep your eyes on Israel. Have I not? Keep your eyes on Israel. That's the ball. That'll tell you what's going on and where we are in the end times timetable. Netanyahu has been begging for help from the U.S. and from the world to do something about this threat in Iran, which they've been very open about it. They want to destroy Israel. And here's a quote that came out just this past week from Netanyahu. It shows you his frustration that he realizes they're edging closer and closer to being able to bomb Israel, and nobody wants them to do anything about it. And he's been very clear. If no one helps us, we will defend ourselves. You know, you've got to respect the Israelis. They don't care if anybody stands with them or not. They're going to stand up for themselves. They have made it very clear, never again will we have a holocaust. Never again. We will go down fighting. So here's what he said this past week. Those in the international community who refuse to put red lines before Iran don't have a moral right to place a red light before Israel. In other words, don't try to stop us. We're going in. We're not going to wait till they bomb us. We'll go in first and deal with this threat. Now, here's what they're saying. Muslims throughout the Middle East are warning that if Israel does that, it will cause a world war to erupt where all of the Arab Muslim nations will come together with their common hatred for Israel. And Israel will be completely wiped out. Oh, really? Oh, really? I was speaking with a Jewish man yesterday. We, we talk often about these things. And I said, I mean, you realize what's going on in Iran? And he knows very well what's going on. He understands uh, Netanyahu's frustration and how he must do something soon because they're very, very close now to having a fully developed nuclear weapon. I read this clip for him from the news about how the Muslims are warning if Israel dares to do that, they will all rise up and wipe Israel out. I said, what do you think about that? He says, I don't know. There's a whole lot of them and just a few of us in Israel. 
I said, let me help you. I just happened to have a scripture ready that I'm using in my sermon tomorrow. This is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, notice that will happen. That will happen. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. I said, my friend, not to worry. They ain't going to touch Israel. They can't mess with Jerusalem. Wow, you really believe that, huh? I, I sure do. He says, you, you believe more stuff than most Jews do. <laughs> I didn't want to tell him, but I said to myself, I am a real Jew. This is where we're at, folks. We're on the brink of something big in the Middle East. I'm hearing more and more experts, whoever they are, and I don't know where they get their expertise or knowledge, but more and more are sensing that it's imminent. Imminent. Sooner than later. And here's why I, I, I'm that guy with the drum. I find many Christians, and certainly the non-Christians, they're like in a fog. And I heard one man describing it the other day, and it seems to make sense. He was saying, you know, most of us now live in an internet fantasy world. With our smartphones and our tablets and our computers, we're spending more and more of our time in some kind of a make-believe world inside the computer. And we don't even have a clue what's going on in the world. We really don't even care. My friends, boom, 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 you better wake up. Put that smartphone away for a couple hours. Read your word and find out what's going on in the world. Stuff is happening very, very fast. God is shaking the nation. Oh, but America, we just seem to dodge every bullet, right? God even judged Israel severely for her sins and rebellion. Sent her into captivity for 70 years. Allowed the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem. Raise it to the ground. Burn everything up. And they were exiled to a foreign land. He allowed that to happen to Israel. But God would never do that to America, would he? Because after all, we have in God we trust on our money. That'll, that'll keep us, right? No. America is in crisis. You can say, oh man, this guy is a doomsday prophet. He's talking all kinds of negative stuff. You can say whatever you want, but I got to say what I got to say because we need to wake up to where we're at on God's timeline. America is a nation among many that are in crisis right now. I'm just going to give you a quick review and maybe a few new items here to support that argument. If I'm wrong, praise God. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But make no mistake, God doesn't have favorites when it comes to nations. He isn't a respecter of persons, nor is he a respecter of nations. If Israel couldn't get away with it, I don't think we are either. Hear the word of the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to anyone who's not an American. What's any mean? It means any. Is there sin in America? Is there a lot of it in America? Then there must be a lot of disgrace. Sin is a disgrace to any people. If you're familiar with the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of Babylon, the one who went in and destroyed Jerusalem and brought Daniel and a lot of other 
exiles back to Babylon from Jerusalem after it was destroyed for Israel's sins, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he called Daniel in to both tell him what the dream was and to interpret it. That's pretty amazing. And Daniel and his friends got together. They prayed and prayed and prayed and God showed him what the dream was. And he told the king word by word exactly what he had seen. And basically, he saw a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, a belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron. But then he gives him the interpretation. It's representing four major kingdoms. First one is your kingdom, O Nebuchadnezzar. The gold head represents Babylon. You are about to be replaced with another kingdom, the silver one representing the Medo-Persians. They will be replaced with a third kingdom, which is Greece, the Grecian Empire, which will then be replaced with the Roman Empire. It's all history now, folks, but it was prophecy in Daniel's day. What he was seeing was exactly what we're talking about, the rise and fall of nations. One nation rises, God puts it down.